Welcome, Bird Gang. On today's show, our final show before the draft, what do we expect to happen? What do our colleagues think will happen? Consider it an unofficial straw poll. There does seem to be somewhat of a consensus of what will happen, at least with pick number 16. Two positions have most often been associated with that spot, cornerback and wide receiver. It's Cardinals Cover 2, episode 417, and it starts now. Welcome to Cardinals Cover 2 with Craig Grealou and Mike Jarecki. Cardinals Cover 2 is presented by Hyundai, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals, and by Arizona Cardinals Podcasts. Visit azcardinals.com slash podcasts. Murray rolls to the right, throws near side, defense caught, and he's into the end zone for the touchdown. Here's Craig Grealou and Mike Jarecki. It is finally draft week, MJ. The talking is just about over. It's been a lot of fun talk. It's been a lot of interesting talk, I guess, is probably the uh, better adjective to use. But that is what this season is. When you talk about mock drafts and getting ready for the NFL draft, everyone has an opinion. And really, no one knows what to expect come Thursday, April 29th. And that's the beauty of the NFL draft. And again, the NFL does a great job, whether it's free agency, um, the combine back in the day, hopefully it's back next year, and then you get the draft and it's it's reality TV. We all think we know. And, you know, you, you'll see different mocks coming out. You know, guys will start hearing more information. They'll change their top 50 and start, you know, guys start moving up and moving down. But at the end of the day, it's, you know, teams aren't, you know, tipping their hand what they're going to do. I mean, yes, they have calls, set up some draft trades and stuff like that. But uh, I get it. Um, but the NFL does a good job and it's, it's going to be reality TV at its finest. And I'm looking forward to it. You know, I know we're doing a podcast, but I have a smile from ear to ear. I'm just excited. And, you know, I think the Cardinals are in a good spot. Um, you know, it's 16 now. Clearly, you know, when you finish eight and eight, you finish, you get the 16th overall pick. So you're not going to be able to to get a top 10 player, Um, but there's enough good players in this draft. And, you know, I believe that, you know, they'll have a plan. And well, at this point in time, I mean, I can give you five names and I don't know if they'll even be there or they would trade down. There's a lot of different options. And I think that's what we want to get to here because this is our final show before the draft. And then Bird Gang will come on following the draft. We've got some shows both Thursday and Friday, post day one, post day two, as far as what the Cardinals actually did do. But let's talk, and we've had a lot of time to discuss, but we also kind of went and asked our colleagues, our broadcasting colleagues with the Arizona Cardinals Broadcasting Department, thought might happen. And as we've seen through the rest of these mock drafts, the national perspective is cornerback, wide receiver. And that's kind of what we saw amongst our peers. And it's interesting because there's not a consensus. I mean, there might be a consensus as far as position. Corner, I think, is what everyone wants because that's a bigger need than wide receiver. But some of that talent wide receiver just might be too hard to pass along. And that's what Darren Urban of azcardinals.com mentioned and wrote about because he thinks that cornerback 
is the position, but that's if there is a player worthy of number 16. Would not be shocked if an offensive lineman or even a pass rusher would go at number 16. But it is certainly anticipated that cornerback is the way to go for the Cardinals because, as you said, MJ, yes, it's best player available, but there is certainly a need, and there might not be any greater need that the Cardinals have going into this draft than cornerback. I would agree with uh, Darren's assessment. Um, I think he's uh, right on cue there. And the fact is, you know, how many wide receivers are off the board? You know, how many corners? Uh, but I, I do think the positions he mentioned are definitely in play. And, and a guy that's moving up, and we didn't talk about him until we got to my, my top 50, and he came in at 28th overall, Xavier Collins. All of a sudden, you know, you start looking at some of these edge rushers, and, you know, inside linebacker is not a position you would think would be a need. But if you're talking about a guy 6'5 that can rush the passer, he can cover, and just to kind of, you know, dream a little bit here, you put him next to Isaiah Simmons, and all of a sudden you got two six foot five inside linebackers. And, and the fact that, you know, you can move guys around and you throw in a Chandler Jones, you know, who's six five. So it, it's intriguing. Clearly, um, they have Jordan Hicks under contract. He's been the, you know, captain. He plays a ton of snaps. Um, he's only 29 years old. So, you know, that was a really good signing, but you want to get more athletic, I think, at that position. And then corner, just the fact that, you know, Robert Alford hasn't been able to stay healthy. Unfortunately, it's not his fault. It happens. But Malcolm Butler's on a one-year deal. He plays well. Maybe you extend him. But you, you got to look ahead at those positions. And we know in this division, you have to be able to create pressure, try to make them one-dimensional uh, and, and stop the run or at least contain it. And then you got to be able to cover on the outside. Collins is one of those names that, if you believe, shooting up draft boards, as they like to say, as we get closer and closer to the draft. At his pro day, he checked in at 6'4", 259, weighed in, though, at 270 during medical checks at Indianapolis, so he is putting on weight. He has mentioned on the record that he wants to be that linebacker that does it all, sideline to sideline, not just rush the passer. Now, at 6'4", 270, that certainly sounds to me as an edge rusher, but he has the skill set and I think the mindset to be able to or at least want to do it all. So that might get people thinking, all right, well, is this Hassan Reddick all over again? What he did in college, and all of a sudden you're trying to change him when he enters the NFL. That might be concerning for some, but it is a name to your point, MJ, when you look at inside linebacker, if that's where the Cardinals, if they do select him at number 16, you got Isaiah Simmons and Zayvon Collins. That is certainly a great pairing for five, seven, maybe 10 years to come. Paul Calvisi brought up another inside linebacker, Micah Parsons. He likes that idea as far as what Tampa Bay was able to do last season. Devin White and you know a Bobby Wagner, a Fred Warner, those kind of players, and you pair that with someone else, and then all of a sudden you've set that position for a long time with the Arizona Cardinals defense. Yeah, I think it's a good point by Paul. Um... I do think, you know, when you look at Parsons, I, maybe he's more of a 4-3 a middle linebacker. You know, again, um, obviously his versatility and what he did, um, I don't think the red flags are going to affect him. Uh, he was young. He admitted he made a mistake, so you move on. But he could be the first defensive player off the board along with Patrick Sertan, obviously number one corner going in the draft on paper. But, yeah, I, I just think uh, Collins makes more sense what the Cardinals want to do. But Parsons clearly is going to be a top five, 15 pick. And I just wonder what his natural position is. And getting back to Collins, you know, it's interesting there because, you know, 
curious to see, is he putting on good weight or is it to where, you know, he's looking at, I want to, you know, be the certain guy. So once teams get their hand on him, it's like I always say with Chase Young, you know, last year, it's, you get a piece of mold and you can mold a guy. But uh, I think, you know, Paul's, I think he's, he's right on when it comes to that position, but I just don't know if Parsons fits what the Cardinals are looking for defensively. One other addition to what Calvisi wrote, and we went through and I kind of did an unofficial straw poll, if you will, as far as some of our other broadcasters with the Arizona Cardinals, and he brought up Daryl Washington, Carlos Dansby, and how effective that pairing at inside linebacker was for the Cardinals. Now, if you can have that and have it for a solid run, then yeah, it is certainly worth considering at number 16. Now, Kyle Odegaard and Felipe Corral both went the wide receiver route. That is the other area of this as far as corner wide receiver debate. They went with the pass catcher. Kyle likes Devontae Smith. Felipe likes Jalen Waddle, both Alabama wide receivers. And it just depends on if you're looking at a pass catcher to give Kyle Murray as many weapons as possible, who's still on the board at number 16 to make sure Murray has these weapons at his disposal. Can't go wrong with any uh, of these three guys. Uh, I know you didn't mention Jamar Chase, maybe because it's not realistic. I, you know, I'm sure there's some teams that maybe have Waddle number one. Some teams may have Smith as a number one wide receiver, but in, you look at that first tier, those are the three guys. So um, I would run to the podium for, for Waddle. I just don't think Chase is going to be there. And Smith, you know, again, people are going to talk about his size. And, and Steve brought up a good point just when, when you look at comps and traits. But he, I, when you watch him, he's hard to jam at the line of scrimmage. And I know these guys are a lot more uh, more physical. They're leaner now, and they're you know, they got the arm length, maybe six feet. And their and their arms are longer, so they can try jam. But he he didn't get jammed, and he played in the SEC. So I, like I said, I don't think you can go wrong with any of three of those guys. The question becomes how many tackles come off the board, how many defensive players come off the board, and you hope one of those guys can drop to you. Smith weighed in again a buck sixty six, which has some people a little weary about selecting him as far as again that physicality at the line of scrimmage. Kyle wrote about Smith quote would make sense as a long-term option to complement DeAndre Hopkins. And as far as Jalen Waddell, Felipe figures that you want to surround Kyler Murray with weapons, and they've done that so far in the offseason. Quote, Waddle might not be your prototypical wide receiver size, but at 5'10", the space he creates from the line of scrimmage, given his speed and his elusiveness, is unmatched compared to the likes of Tyreek Hill. And, of course, that is something that you have brought up as well as far as that comp as far as the speed aspect. Now, I don't know, you know, we talk about wanting someone to play outside receiver as opposed to inside receiver, but when you have that speed, MJ, I don't think it really matters because once you get off the line of scrimmage, you can go inside if you want to, to be that inside guy. Good point, because you look on paper, Waddle is really more of a slot guy, but, you know, what Cliff did in the uh, latter part of the season, moving Hopkins around, not saying Hopkins isn't always going to line up on the left side, um, but they just lined him on the outside. Here they started moving, put him in motion, had him in the slot. So you, you and again, football is about matchups, and that that's the way you create matchups. I guess it's more of a you know pie in the sky because I just I when I look at the top 10, 12, 14 players, uh, Jalen Waddle, Smith, and Jamar Chase are definitely in there. Now, our last colleague that we reached out to is kind of on the thinking of UMJ as far as trading down. Lisa Matthews wrote, unless there's a scenario where Patrick Sertan, Jalen Waddell, J.C. Horn, or Devontae Smith happen to be on the board, 
then I believe the Cardinals will trade down to acquire more picks. Feels boring saying it, but wouldn't be a bad idea to get some chips back. Obviously referring to losing draft picks when you acquired a DeAndre Hopkins, a Marcus Golden, and a Rodney Hudson. So I think if the Cardinals do make a move, it is going to drop down. The question is how, how far, and do they dare even drop out of the first round completely, depending on what the package is that they get to move out of the first round. That I think I would be a little bit more surprised at. If we were having this conversation, maybe even just last week, I think if, if they were trying to move down, they were probably going to eye Xavier Collins. I don't know if Xavier Collins is now. He could be in the teens. He can go 18, 17. So all of a sudden, if you haven't ranked that high, um, but yeah, I don't, I've always maintained just because of the lack of draft picks, you need more bites of the apple. But it doesn't mean the Cardinals can't offer a future pick next year. Um, you know, or, or try to uh, attain one to try, because again, for our, for our, our listeners out there, and I'm sure you've heard at other uh, venues, but 1649, and then let's go take a nap because 111 consecutive picks will go off the board before the Cardinals pick again. So, um, you know, I don't know who they would move down for. I mean, I see the latest on Peter King. He's got Greg Newsom. I don't know where Greg Newsom is compared to the top three corners in the draft. I know because of Caleb Farley, um, there's there's talk that some teams will tell their medical staff will tell the you guys can't draft this guy or he's more of a second or third day or second round risk. So again, I and then you throw in uh, Elijah Vera Tucker. I mean, what if he's there? I think he's you know after uh, Rashawn Slater and. Uh, Panay Sewell, and you know maybe there's another tackle out there. Tucker's right there. I've seen Tucker 13, 14, 15. I don't think the Cardinals would hesitate. And again, you know, depending on Justin Pugh's future and Justin Murray and you know Kevin Beecham, yes, he's 16 games, but he's getting along in the tooth. Uh, you know, again, you hope the guys can play right away. But again, you're trying to build for the future by also addressing your needs. And that's kind of where I'm at during this whole process. You tell me who's still on the board, and I'll Thank tell you. you who the Cardinals should shoot for. And I think that is, I mean, it's maybe, uh, you know, sitting on the fence a little bit, not giving you a name, but it's hard to put a name out there when you don't know what's happening in front of you, especially when you're drafting dead center in a 32-team NFL draft. And that's why I say that you can go a number of different directions. You can go corner. You can go wide receiver. You can go inside linebacker. You can go edge rusher, offensive lineman. Now, I would not go running back. I just think at 16, that's a little bit too high. Even if this is an all-world running back, I just, based off what they've done and what they've said this offseason, as far as Chase Edmonds can be a starter, let's go out and sign James Conner then why do you need a Najee Harris or a Travis Etienne? It just doesn't make a lot of sense to me. I get you don't want to pass up on talent, but running backs and even to a certain extent, MJ, wide receivers in this draft class, there's a lot of people that believe, yeah, it's very deep. So why make a move at number 16 for one of those top three guys when you can get someone in the second or third round that might be just as good or if not better later on down the road? Well said. Now, when you start looking at trading down, um, first of all, easier said than done. You need a trade partner. Who are they moving up for? And I, th I think the Cardinals, they'll do some mocks uh, in-house just to see how things develop. But 
Can we sit here today, Craig, and say there's going to be three or four players on the board at 16? I don't know if we can because the positions that they're targeting, we could see two or three come off at each position. Corner, depending on where you think Caleb Farley is. We know wide receiver. We know a couple tackles and then possibly the guard and the quarterbacks. I mean, usually when you go into a draft and when you're picking 16th, um, I think you have to have a pool of players. Who's going to be there? And if we move down, who's going to be there? So easier said than done. Again, you got to find a trade partner. And when you move down, you better make sure you have at least two or three names written down because we know teams can jump the Cardinals based on who they're hearing they want to pick. And if you move down, you might be getting, yes, maybe the third or fourth best player at a certain position, but what is the gap between the second best player at that position? If you don't believe there's a huge depth of talent between these two players, then okay, so this makes sense to move down because you have this guy pegged at a certain grade that is still worthy of a first round pick. And also you have to consider fit within an offensive scheme or a defensive scheme as well. That's why some players, whether you're you know, a linebacker in a 4-3 versus a 3-4, now all of a sudden maybe you're not quite as ranked as high. A wide receiver, you're looking for a speed guy, you're looking for a pass catcher, a slot guy. So there's a lot of different questions that have to be addressed and it's why these scouts come back into the office, so to speak, and have all of these discussions. And you have all these meetings because you wanna make sure that you have left no stone unturned, that every scenario that plays out, you're ready for. And yes, there might be a scenario that all of a sudden maybe throws a wrench into things, but I would think that those conversations are still having place anyway. Like, you know, some team moves up 10 spots that you would never even think of and takes a player that might not be a quarterback or makes some, you know, earth shattering move. I think those scenarios have to be played out a little bit. All right, let's give you a hypothetical. Put your GM hat on. Cardinals trade down to 24. Would you take a running back there? I would. I think, I don't know. It's, it's, it sounds, it sounds silly to a certain extent, bird gang, because it's, you know, what's the difference of a couple of slots. It's just, you're talking about, and I'm going to borrow Kyle Odegaard's phrase in here, it's value. You want to make sure you're getting value at certain picks. And how many times have we seen over the years, MJ, when you're talking about running backs, even those running backs that have been drafted very high, is that a player that is going to turn you into a playoff contender or Super Bowl contender? Saquon Barkley hasn't done it. So, and that's not to single him out, but if you're drafting a running back high, they better be a game changer. And I just feel more comfortable maybe in the 20s than I do in the teens with that position because there are certain positions that you have elevated over another. And I think that's why obviously quarterback is valued so high. Now you can, as we've seen and history tells us that even if you draft a quarterback high, it doesn't equate to success on Sundays. Yeah, the way I look at it is, I mean, I, th I think the only one back they would take there is Nigel Harris. Nothing against Travis Etienne. It, I, he doesn't fit the profile. And I, and I like the Javante uh, Williams out of North Carolina, but he's more of a second-round guy. Last year, we only had one running back go in the first round, and that was Kansas City. And, and you know, plug-and-play guy. So I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't take him in the top 10. I wouldn't take him in the top 20. And I, I know I'm just talking – but the thing is, when you draft a guy in the first round, your goal – is to make sure he's coached up, he has a high ceiling, and you want to extend that 
fifth year option. In this case, would you be interested in trying to extend a guy that you're going to try to run into the ground five years later? I mean, so, and we talk about, you know, wide receivers deep. You can get wide receivers in the second and third round. Now, you know, hopefully it's not Chad Williams and, um, you know, some um, Brandon Williams, you know, the corners and receivers the Cardinals have taken. But, I mean, again, this draft is deep. The t two deepest positions are corner and wide receiver. And so, to me, yes, you go best available player in the first round with a little bit of need, but I, I think you can address some other areas uh, later in the draft. Now, again, you have to have more picks, though. With the Cardinals drafting number 16 and 49 overall, and again, that 49th is the second round pick, I would think, you know, best case scenario, you go cornerback, wide receiver. That's that that's me thinking out here as far as, you know, not being in that room, not knowing who's still on the board. You mentioned earlier here as we continue on Cardinals Cover 2 presented by Hyundai, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals. What Peter King wrote in his Football Morning in America column, he does one mock each year and it's the week of the draft and it was released on Monday or I should say published on Monday and he brought up Greg Newsom and that was with Sertan and Horn off the board and the unknown with Caleb Farley because of his back injury but Peter King did note that while Newsom has good speed he also has some injury concerns as far as just being banged up it's not you know he was always on the field but he wasn't playing a full season so Greg Newsom is a name that's been out there. Dan Orlovsky last week on ESPN Live brought up that name. And that might be that third corner that might be surpassing Farley, if you believe the narrative out there, because of Farley's history, back history, that might be concerning to players or concerning to teams, excuse me, when you draft in the first round. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, again, I, I haven't heard. And now, again, I I'm not texting anybody. I'm not asking. Um, but I just, when you start looking at uh, what the Cardinals need, I, I haven't even connected the dots for Greg Newsom. And I'm not saying, again, they don't tell us what's going on. They could pick him at 16 or 18. But I just, I, I, I don't, I'm not able to connect the dots at how he would fit in this defense. I can connect the dots with Sertan. Um, a healthy, uh, fairly, and again, he's going to be healthy. And then I can, with J.C. Horn, I can connect dots. I don't know how Newsom would fit in this defense. So, again, um, they don't tell us what they're doing, and that's the beauty of uh, watching the draft unfold on Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. I love that you called it reality TV at its, it's the best. peak, and we're <laughs> not going to know until Thursday, 5 p.m. Arizona time, and, of course, probably you know an hour or so into it, when the Arizona Cardinals are on the clock at number 16. Selfishly, I hope they keep that pick at 16. They don't trade down, so we're waiting even longer for that first initial pick. But I get it as far as moving down, still get a player you like, and maybe still high on your board compared to other teams, and then acquire maybe that third, fourth round pick that you don't currently have. Okay, how about, how about this? Again, hypothetical, not speculating, hypothetical. Stick and pick at 16. I got that from Daniel Jeremiah. <laughs> stick and pick. So stick and pick at 16. And then right around 28, 29, Steve Kahn gets on the phone, calls Jason Light, and says, I want the 32nd pick in the draft. I'll offer you something next year. Because Jason Light and the Buccaneers have all 22 starters returning. He's come out and said that they are going to go after opt-out guys, and they're going to try to redshirt them the first year, and they have eight draft picks. Now, if there's somebody on their board, 
um, because, you know, you're building for the future. Tom Brady's not going to play forever. Not saying they're going to go for a certain position, but they love pass rushers. They love linebackers. They like corners there. That, that's what Todd Bowles is. But I would try to call Jason Light and get back in the first round for a fifth-year option. And that's key right there, that fifth-year option. And you see a lot of movement, or at least a lot of times teams try to get back into later half of that first round just for that fifth-year option. Yes, it's going to cost you a pick or maybe a couple of picks, but if it's a fifth, sixth, seventh-round selection, you know how likely are those players to make your team or have a huge impact that's not on special teams compared to a pick in the later 20 half of the 20s whether you're talking 28 29 30 31 32 just because of the value of that fifth round option to where you have a little bit more room if you're a team to figure out all right we do like this player he's a part of our future let's give him that second contract and you know we're in that period now mj where teams have to make that decision we heard the cleveland browns announce that baker mayfield his fifth year option has been picked up we haven't, though, heard anything about a contract to go along with that as far as a contract extension. So, and let's not forget, the Cardinals are going to be in this boat next offseason with respects to Kyler Murray as far as do you extend or do you let it play out a little while longer? To me, this is just more of a formality. He's going to make close to $19 million. They could put the franchise tag on the following year. Again, it's a big offseason for guys like Josh Allen. Lamar Jackson and Baker Mayfield, they're the next guys. Are they going to exceed $100 million contracts? Well, based on the, what history says, yes. So more formality and the fact that, you know, he made strides under Kevin Stefanski in his first year. I think they're one of the more talented teams. I don't know if Andrew Barry gets enough credit, the way they've drafted, even John Dorsey. They're loaded, and, and they got a really good staff, and they should be in that, in that conversation for the AFC uh, North, along with the Ravens and possibly the Steelers then. So, yeah, I mean, it's, I just think Tampa's, Tampa's, they got champagne problems. I mean, <laughs> these are great luxury. I mean, to sit, and I don't, I don't have to look at Jimmy Johnson's trade chart. I know it's changed with analytics, but I don't think you'd have to give up a ton, uh, but you are probably have to give up a future pick. Uh, I just don't know what the, the dynamics would be. The only issue with that, though, is how many teams might be calling. Tampa Bay, or maybe even calling Kansas City, and all of a sudden you get into a bidding war, if you will, and now all of a sudden Jason Light's got, you know, three phones, and he's like, well, this team's offering me next year's second-round pick, plus a seventh round as well, and you're going back and forth. Now, if now it takes a couple of different teams to get into that bidding war, and if you want to play one against the other, but that would be my concern, whether, you know, what's the price, and it could go up if there's more interest in getting back into the latter half of that first round. I would say Jason, I mean, he used to work here. I mean, help <laughs> a brother out. I mean, what do you mean? <laughs> That's true. Pull on the heartstrings, if you yeah, will. You guys, you guys took our coach? What do you mean? I mean, the least you could do is just you know, help us out. No, it's there's a, there's a there's a Jimmy Johnson trade chart, so they'll go by that. I mean, yeah, you gotta do what's best for your franchise, but you're right. And then when the draft ends on Thursday night, whoever has that 33rd pick, which is, I assume, Jacksonville, right? They're going to have a pick, first pick in every round. I don't know if they will deal, but that that pick becomes valuable. The Cardinals had it a couple of years ago, and they they stayed there and took Byron Murphy, and then, uh, you know, they had a higher grade on Andy Isabella. So, you know, that was what they did. But that first pick, and then the, when you get to uh, Saturday, when you get to round four, 
you know, it's not as valuable, but to, second and third round are valuable when you want to build the belly of your roster, let alone the first round picks. Cardinals Cover 2 presented by Hyundai, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals. All right, MJ, as we will next speak to everyone Thursday night, Friday morning, depending on when people might listen to the podcast here. But best case scenario for you, and you can give me a name if you want or maybe just a position, but what do you hope happens Thursday nights when we hear Commissioner Roger Goodell say the Arizona Cardinals are on the clock with pick number 16. I hope Jalen Waddle's there. I hope J.C. Horn's there um, for Tucker. But I think more realistically, possibly Xavier Collins because we're not seeing him now. Now, just takes one team at 14 or 13. I mean, again, it's not a deep draft, a deep defense tackle, so you're not going to see those guys push him down. Um, a guy that can play multiple positions. I think he's he's rising up clearly, and uh, so again, I would take the I would take uh, one of the receivers like Waddle. I think you know I don't think he's going to be there, um, and then Horn because they fill what what they're looking for. Uh, Tucker to me is is a future pick, possibly could run for a competition, but realistically, Zaven Collins would be the guy if he's on the board at sixteen. I'm going to go cornerback, and as long as it one of those corners that we've all been talking about. And if I'm general manager, Steve Kime and Caleb Farley is still on the board. I look to Tom Reed and I look to the medical department. If they give me a thumbs up, then I'm going to roll the dice because at the end of the day, MJ, this is all a roll of a dice, no matter who you are selecting, even at number one, with the presumptive number one overall pick, Trevor Lawrence. There are going to be highs and lows with all of these draft prospects, but when you're weighing the risk reward, there is a huge risk, at least that what is we've been told with Farley. But at the end of the day, if the medical team says we've checked him out, he's okay, it's not going to mean that he's injury-free, but that back is not a concern. If you want him, go ahead and take him, Steve. Then, okay, I would feel comfortable because you've put those people in charge of your medical, and if you believe in them, then you should be comfortable in saying, all right, Caleb Farley's our guy. Craig, I got to assume those conversations are already taken place. Yes. Now, again, they've set their board, they've had all their meetings, and I'm sure there's going doing, you know, double check. Let's watch this guy's film again to this guy. So uh, I would hope that those those conversations, because when you're on the clock, that's not the time. And, and I, I know you're just pointing out, it's got to get cleared by the medical staff, whether that's last week, tomorrow. Thursday morning they re, they they reconvene and they say this is where we are. We, after all this research we've done, this is where we feel comfortable with, and then go from there. But yeah, I, again, if if there wasn't any concerns, and it's not character, it's medical, and the medical is big. Uh, I would definitely consider it, but I, like I said, I'm just a little cautious, and and, and he could turn out to be a, have a great career, and you know, I'm not saying he's not going to be a good player. It's just you just gotta you just gotta know what you're doing there and that's why teams have doctors and don't forget before any of this became a subject or a talking point many believed that cover this a lot more in depth than either one of us are talking about mel kuyper 
Todd McShay, Daniel Jeremiah, Bucky Brooks, those are the kind of the names that we've always thrown out there. They have Caleb Farley number one. I mean, this is going back into December, January. And then, of course, you do more investigating, more digging, more phone calls. And, of course, things pop up. But many believe that Farley is the number one cornerback regardless, just based off of his coverage skills. Yeah, and you watch the tape and he sticks out. I mean, it's unfortunate, but he's been in front of it. Um, he's addressed it. Uh, Dr. Watkins sends uh, a medical reporter uh, post-surgery to all 32 teams. So if you have anything, that, and they can reach out. Um, and it's not, it's not an injury that hasn't happened before. Other guys have had it. Watkins is a renowned specialist, so I think he's done everything. He hasn't hid from it, and he claims that he'll be ready for training camp now. Does he start the season on PUP? Again, you're not drafting him for one year. You're drafting him for the next four or five years. And if this is indeed the scenario that pans out on Thursday, let's hope that we find out about these discussions, and maybe it's a part of a future episode of Cardinals Flight Plan. Bird Gang, if you missed it, Episode number one titled Power Surge up and available on the Arizona Cardinals YouTube page, youtube.com slash AZ Cardinals. Just hit the subscribe button so you don't miss any of these episodes this offseason. It's always very well done. The premiere episode of season number four of this Emmy Award winning series was very, very solid you had basically the free agency process going through from jj watt to malcolm butler to aj green james connor and i think to me mj as we just divert a little bit of attention to flight plan what i liked the most was brenson buckner looking at the film of jj watt and one quote from coach buck that really stood out to me talking about Watt: quote with him we're going to get more stops you're going to get Kyler three or four more possessions per game, all because of the addition of this guy here. And that's something that he said it and took me back and he started thinking like, okay, well, yeah, defensive stops equal more position, possessions for the offense. Now, all of a sudden, maybe this offense is scoring 30, 35 points a game that we all anticipated was going to be the case under the Kingsbury offense. Yeah, I really like what Buck said. Um, I don't know about three or four. I mean, usually it seemed a little high, but yeah, I, okay. I, I think hey, what he was saying. Yes, exactly. No, listen, they should. I mean, th again, the rush defense should be a lot better um, if they can figure out what they want to do in the back end. We we like the safeties, we like the corners. At least need more depth. But yeah, I mean, I like what he's saying. He also said, "All there were a lot of teams going after JJ Watt." And, you know, at the last minute, he announced he's coming to the Cardinals, and all of a sudden, we overpaid for this guy. Just paraphrasing. And he's right. If any other team would have signed him, Green Bay, they would have been saying, oh, that's our free agent, you know, big signing of the offseason. And I think we could say that now. It's just a matter of him coming together. But this defense should be if, – if he's had two and a half, I would take that. You go from 11 possessions to 13? I mean, that's where your, your snap count gets up. Now you're not at 65. You're at 72, 74. And – your offense or your defense is on the sidelines. Resting. Less snaps bodes well for a defense long term, especially when you get into the month of December. So, yeah, the defense certainly addressed in free agency. Now we'll see what gets addressed in the draft. Again, the Cardinals with six picks, one in the first round, one in the second round, and then nothing again until the fifth. 
They do have a sixth round selection that was via the Minnesota Vikings and the Mason Cole trade, and then two picks in round seven, 243 and 247 overall. Craig, what's the latest on Fitz? <laughs> I'll say this. If you believe the general manager, Steve Kime says it doesn't matter what the Cardinals do during the draft on how that might affect Larry Fitzgerald's future. But it is funny you bring him up. You know, it, it's amazing. Whatever Fitz does, and you know, he doesn't tweet a lot anymore, but if he makes an appearance, then all of a sudden people start to figure out, all right, well, what's he doing? What's he saying? And let's read between the lines. And that's basically what we've been doing since the end of the season. But congratulations to Fitz because he has once again done something that uh, I don't know if he's done before. He's spoken at big events before, but he gave the commencement address at University of Phoenix's graduation ceremonies over the weekend. Fitz, remember, earned his degree from the university in 2016. And that, I think, you know, if I'm sitting in the crowd, I would love to hear from Larry Fitzgerald, especially as that ceremony is taking place inside Chase Field. You're talking about arguably the greatest athlete in Arizona history, talking about all, you know, every sport to be played inside the state of Arizona. But that also happened to mark the 17th anniversary of when Fitz was drafted, number three overall back in 2004, which led to a discussion from some people that maybe Saturday we might have gotten an announcement from Fitz like we did from Drew Brees, who waited until the day that he was drafted and then kind of book in the start and in the conclusion of your career based off when you were drafted or when you were signed in the case of Drew Brees with the New Orleans Saints. Yeah, I didn't see that happening. That's not Larry Fitzgerald. I mean, yes, it's a Saturday. That's not him. And quite frankly, I don't think he's going to make a decision like in the next couple of days. He's not going to make a decision. And I, and I don't want to speak for him. It's just I just, what's the hurry? I mean, I, I understand people want to know, but the Cardinals have maintained that it's going to take his time and they're, they're going to draft accordingly. It doesn't matter if Larry Fitzgerald's on the roster, plus the age, and you got to get better at a lot of different positions. But I I never thought that he would make an announcement. I mean, Craig, I think if, if I can connect dots and just, if you ask Larry, you know, maybe after a month or 45 days after the season, how, how do you feel? And probably says, you know, I'm not in a hurry to go run routes right now. And then we get to, you know, March and April. Uh, okay, he's playing golf. He obviously recovered from that growing injury. So, I mean, it could this thing can drag on for a little while. I, I don't know that. But at some point when he wakes up, he's, people don't realize this is a decision that probably is going to be his toughest decision in life. Do I hang it up? Is he going to miss it? Which he will. Or do I play for another year and, you know, kind of hopefully the Cardinals or decides to go somewhere else, which I don't know. Uh, you hope no, I, 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 I don't think he's going anywhere else. I mean, okay. I, I, we were, I, we've kind of gone back and forth yeah. on that, and I understand the talking points, you know, Minnesota, Tampa Bay. No, I, no, 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 it's not Minnesota. I know, but I, I'm, I I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go on on a limb without knowing anything, and I, I, I like what Darren keeps saying when he gets asked about it. And Fitz has said so much in the past. Now, it hasn't been recently in the last six, seven months, but if he's playing, he's wearing an Arizona Cardinals uniform, and, and that's it. And you can, can try to connect dots or do whatever, or where he's visiting, where he's traveling, who he's seen. I'm sorry, he's not wearing. And Fitz, if you want to prove me wrong, that's fine, but I'll believe it when I see it. He is only wearing one uniform. He wants 
to be known as that guy. It's a rare breed these days, regardless of sport, to be that guy, to only put on one uniform. Yeah, I don't disagree. But, you know, as you get older in life, I mean, you know, he wants to play for a ring. And is that, is that possible? I mean, there's no guarantees anywhere else. I'm just saying, um, I don't, I, I don't know when he's going to make a decision, but I, I think it's also when you think about either you end your NFL career and you move on, um, that's going to be a big decision. And I'm sure there's days he feels like maybe I can do it. And maybe there's other days where, Hey, I want to take a step back, but let him make his own decision. He doesn't owe anything to anybody. Okay. Make, he'll make his decision. And what's the hurry? I mean, he's going to make a decision where you're all in once you commit. And I don't disagree with your premise. I, I've been on that forever. I just know that things change in life and sometimes you're other, you have other priorities. But uh, again, I, I just don't know what the hurry. I know people want to know. I get it uh, because you, 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 you want to know is, is going to be playing this year. Uh, but at the same time, I, I, I got to think it's a tough decision for him. And I don't talk to him about it because, again, I have a good relationship, but I don't say, like, what are you thinking? I just know when the season was ended, you know, he needed to take time and here we are and he's still taking time. And I think the next dates, if you want to, you know, try to speculate or whatever, at least for me, is the end of July, the start of training camp. If we get to that point, MJ, and we still don't know, because at this point, you know, you're 17 years in the league. You don't need an offseason. You don't need to be a part of OTAs or minicamp if we get to that point this summer in 2021. So training camp to me, if we get then and we still haven't heard then okay, maybe it's maybe it's something that we we never hear from Fitz. And one day, you know, he shows up week five, week eight, or hope we never get to this point. But there's an injury or something happens, and let's call Fitz if he's still available. I mean, there's no rule of thumb that says you have to make an announcement. I mean, is there? I mean, yes, it's Fitz, and people want to know. But there have been guys who have announced their retirements you know, a year or two after their last game. Now that was a little different scenario because no one came calling and wanting to know if they were available, but no one has to say, he doesn't have to say anything. And it would be typical fits to just kind of ride off into the sunset without letting anyone know what's going on, except for maybe Michael Bidwell, Steve Kime, and Cliff Kingsbury, those three. And then what those three do with it, they honor Fitz's request and just go about their business preparing and getting ready for 2021. I can tell you this, he hasn't made a decision. And people are like, how is he hasn't made a decision? Well, the first people are going to know is his kids. They're, he's, he has, I mean, at this point, he, he'll tell his family before anybody else knows. But again, I just don't think he's made a decision. And people go, well, he's had plenty of time to think about. Again, the biggest decision he'll have in his professional career is right now, does he want to play? Does he want to retire? That's it. And he has the luxury of time on his side. If it's you or I, you know, where do you do job wise, career wise, you, you have to make a decision. You don't have the luxury of time like Fitz does. So we sit and wait as we have since the end of the regular season. Again, if and when Fitz does make a decision, hopefully it will be chronicled 
on Flight Plan. Again, season number four, episode number one, Power Surge on azcardinals.com and of course, youtube.com slash azcardinals. Just hit the subscribe button so you don't miss any of the episodes to come this off season. A couple of other draft notes before we uh, close up shop here on Cardinals Cover 2 presented by Hyundai, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals. Kelvin Beecham is going to be a part of the three-day NFL draft. The Cardinals offensive tackle will announce the team's day two pick, which right now is just one pick. Second round, number 49 overall. And this is something the league has done over the last several years as far as incorporating current players, former players, people in the community to announce their respective teams picks day two and day three and Kelvin Beecham I noticed was on the list of current and former players that will be involved on day two of the NFL draft yeah I, I've really been impressed with him ever since he uh, came to the Cardinals I, I know he does a lot of things off the field for, for uh, the players coalition he's involved in, in community stuff and I'm glad they retained him and and he speaks very well so it's only it's only uh it's fitting that he's going to get this opportunity and He's on some of the NFL, um, you know, charity commercials. Uh, again, I think he's a really good addition, and not only in the locker room, but also in the community. Now, bringing this show full circle to where we began, and that was with the Cardinals pick number 16, cornerback, wide receiver, whomever that pick is, if it is a wide receiver or cornerback, they will have a decision to make. What number do they wear with the Arizona Cardinals? And if it's a wide receiver, if it's a cornerback, they can pick a number that no other players had the opportunity at those positions to select, and that is a single-digit number. The NFL and the owners approving something that we had discussed previous here on Cardinals Cover 2, and that is allowing running backs, wide receivers, tight ends, DBs, even linebackers to wear numbers in the single digits and this has certainly captured a lot of people's attentions mj we've already heard patrick peterson announced that he is going to wear number seven with the vikings that was the number he wore at lsu immediately after this rule was announced or the relaxation of the rule i guess you could say isaiah simmons tweeted about potentially changing from his current number 48 DeAndre Hopkins went so far as to tweet out and put on social media a picture of him wearing number six. Do you think there are going to be more players, MJ, that go this route and have that ability to go with single digits? Well, let's focus on Patrick Peterson. He's wearing the same number I believe he wore in high school and college, and that's a big number at LSU. Now, because he's changing teams, he doesn't have to um, purchase all his jerseys. A guy like Delvin Cook, who wants to change his numbers, he would have to pay $1.5 million. <sighs> so it's a little bit different. Hop would have to pay now that we know these guys got the money, but Patrick doesn't have to pay because he is changing, changing teams. So I think it's going to come to the finances. And, you know, if you got money and you're willing to buy up your jerseys, and I think we'll see it, though, just because guys like, you know, maybe they're superstitious and they were a certain number and other things. Um, you know, I, I just, like I said, I know the officials are going to have their work cut out because, you know, you, you normally see different guys blocking, and I know Brady came out. I don't know. I 
I just I think some guys will come in the NFL with single digits now where they don't have to worry about it as much as in the past or uh, but yeah I, I think it's all comes down to money basically how much you have to owe versus going to a new team yeah that's key as far as if you want to change your number you have to buy what inventory is left of that number and then you're weighing the costs as far as whether you want to make that change or wait until the following season with respect to the arizona cardinals if you go to azcardinals.com single digits that have already been assigned obviously kyler murray wears number one andy lee number four and number eight is unavailable because that number was retired in honor of Larry Wilson. So you could see three, five, six, seven, nine worn by someone that typically doesn't wear a single digit, whether that's a Chase Edmonds or a DeAndre Hopkins or maybe even an Isaiah Simmons. To that latter point, though, is linebackers wearing single digits. And I understood where Tom Brady was coming from. But the response, I thought there'd be more people, MJ, honestly, that would kind of back up what Brady had to say. I heard Kurt Warner on 98.7 FM say, I'm not looking at numbers. I'm looking for players on the field. Where are they situated? What position, what spot on the field are they at? That's how I can tell whether you're a defensive lineman, a linebacker, or a defensive back. So, And that was something that I heard another general manager say as well. So it's not so much the numbers, although it will take some getting used to, but as we've seen, times change, things change during the course of a game, during the course of this league, and players and coaches have learned to adapt. In fact, we all did in 2020. Tell us what we're up against, and we'll make it work. Yeah, I'm not against it. I just, you know, I get it. Um, but at the same time, I just, you know, creature of habit. You look at the lineman now. It's not like, you know, an offensive lineman is going to wear number 19 or something. So I get it. <laughs> but I'm just saying in general, you're so used to. But, hey, listen, it's going to sell more apparel. Um, you know, I think when you're in the NFL, you know, a lot of times, is, and according to, you know, things I read, the point of emphasis is they're going to really be on taunting this year. Okay, so you want to see guys have fun, but there's a fine line when you, you know, when you get to the end zone, as long as you're celebrating by yourself um, and then your teammates join in like the pictures, that's fine. The NFL can be known as a little bit being a little stuffy at times. So I'm glad they're letting the players have some personality out there and it's not going to affect the game. It's just going to be look a little different. But Kurt's right. He would know he's a Hall of Famer. And one thing he had. When he broke the huddle, he knew exactly where they wanted to go through that ball. So that's interesting. I'm glad you told me that. Yeah, the taunting, not directed at celebrations, but more the pointing of fingers, standing over a yes. player on the ground. That's the point of emphasis. Some other rule changes, no overtime in the preseason. I'm not exactly sure why that didn't become a reality when preseason games were even started in the National Football League. There'll be a one-year experiment as far as receiving team on kickoffs limited to nine players within 25 yards of the ball. This is an attempt to kind of make it easier to recover onside kicks. We'll see what happens. This interesting stat, though, recovering teams, three of 67 onside kicks were recovered. Three of 67. So that is what they're trying to do. And then, of course, what we also talked about on a previous episode of Cardinals Cover 2, the expansion of the influence or impact of replay officials. No sky judge. But now you've got someone in the press box given the authority to consult referees on, quote, specific objective aspects of a play when clear and obvious video evidence 
is present. And that's exactly how it's written in the language of the rule. You can't have a flag picked up or thrown, but you could have that third party, if you will, offer some advice. Again, it's not a sky judge, but it is another set of eyes to kind of get the play right. And at the end of the day, MJ, that's what we want. Get the play right. Because if you and I can see it on television, then I think that is what the league wants to get right. When the calls that fans see and then all of a sudden doesn't get overturned or called, that's when problems happen. Yeah, you want to eliminate the the big mistakes, especially on, you know, primetime games. And when you get to the postseason, you just don't you don't want to, you know, because usually a football game comes down to five to seven plays. And we and yes, if you miss a field goal with two seconds on the clock, that costs you the game. But for the most part, but the, the key is here, though, is is we're talking about humans playing the game and we're talking about humans officiating the game. There's going to be mistakes. It's easy when they go to the slow-mo. It's a bang, bang play. So I always give them a little bit of a safety net. Um, but at the same time, uh, they get judged and graded what they do when they're in a regular season. So there's there's checks and balances. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a judgment game. They're subject to calls. You're never going to get it all right. But I thought last year they let them play a little bit more, and I was impressed with that. Yeah, it's always going to be one of those games that you strive for perfection, but you never quite get to. And I don't think we want to get to that point because, as you said, it's played by humans. There is human error, and sometimes things get missed. Players miss stuff. Coaches miss stuff. So it's to be expected that the officials on the field miss stuff as well. What you don't want to see is late in games, when games are decided, by those mistakes that could easily be corrected based off a replay. And I think that's where we're wanting to get in 2021. Yeah. I mean, you don't want them to be reckless because they're trying to cover their backside. I mean, if it's blatant and that's where, you know, Roberto river on um, has to come in, you know, that that's why they have New York, but at least now um, they do have a replay official at every stadium. And sometimes they'll, they'll buzz down. They want to look at a play, but I'm glad you brought the, de the definition of it. So, you know, extra eyes don't hurt. And hopefully they make the correct call where, you know, that doesn't slow the game down. I think the average last year for uh, instant replay was two minutes and 26 seconds. I think they probably want to get that down to 90 seconds. All right, MJ, the next time that you and I have the opportunity to address the Bird Gang will be after the first round of the 2021 NFL Draft. You can be all right between yeah. these next couple of days and the excitement level. And, of course, we're all anxious as well. Yeah, I got to, you know, just like last year, uh, I'll be at home on Thursday and Friday, and then we'll get back to the facility on Saturday, which we haven't done in a long time, uh, at least uh, possibly. And so I'll, I'm going to get my snacks. I'll have Riley hanging with me. I'll have a couple of uh, computers up, and I'm going to enjoy it. I mean, it's, like I said, it's the best reality show going. Well, until then, Berg Gang, we will put a lid on this episode of Cardinals Cover 2 presented by Hyundai, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals. As always, special thanks to our executive producer, Jim Omohundro. For Mike Jarecki, I'm Craig Riolu. The 2021 NFL Draft is straight ahead. We'll cover it for you here on Cardinals Cover 2.